Hey folks, I'm Anatoly from Solana, and this is our No Sharding podcast, and today we have Jack from Scale, um, who's working on a Layer 2 scaling solution called Scale. Hello, happy to be here. For those that can't see us, uh, I will let you know that Toli has me completely beat in attire. Um, we have, I'm sitting next to a unicorn, Halloween, <laughs> and I unfortunately left my outfit at home, so... I'm envious. You look great. Yeah, like not, not so long ago, I would say like 80% of the people in San Francisco would dress up for Halloween. But like uh, something has changed culturally, so I'm trying to bring it back, um, which is sad. Because, uh, you know, I went to school in Illinois like end of 2003 and moved to San Diego, but come out to Vesa probably every year and mostly for Halloween. So it was kind of a, a fun time. Um, so, um, why don't, can you tell us like what is what does scale do? What is layer two? Why do we need it? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, uh, I think everyone's pretty aware of scaling limitations that uh, we've seen and faced and throughput issues with blockchains. I think uh, you know when we were designing scale, we were thinking about the problem. We were not thinking about how we solve the problem in twelve months. Uh, I think Solana and ETH2 and many other solutions are going to uh, really solve the throughput issue. We were thinking about this in a time frame of two, four, six, ten years of how we can support and augment layer ones like Solana with decentralized architecture. So we think about this as scaling architecture and scaling backend for developers and really scaling computation. So when you need to process complex logic, when you need uh, sophisticated smart contract execution, and, and when you think about these new democratized business models that are disrupting these centralized incumbents, you have to have good performance, great security, low costs, and it's not just about throughput. Uh, and another piece of this is configuration. So in scale, it's not, not everyone's sharing one blockchain. There's perhaps the same number or more validators and the developer then can deploy a blockchain. Shame. <laughs> the developer can deploy the blockchain to their size and liking as far as their cost requirements and storage requirements, etc. So it's almost like you know uh, Amazon EC2, where you determine what you want, and if as you need more, you're able to grow it. And and so that's the high level is we want to bring the back end and the right size, configuration, etc. to developers and be able to seamlessly connect back to layer one solutions. So um, what is the difference between that and sharding? You, you know what? You could almost think of scale as many, many shards. And so 1,000 nodes could run 8,000 independent blockchains, which you could call shards. And so there's a premise of revenues and rotation and incentive structures that maintain security so you can have the pooled security across all the validators even at each sub-level or shard but we don't call it sharding because it's probably a good thing considering the podcast <laughs> right so i think the point that i was driving to is that um the you're not solving the consensus of the layer one chain right you're still relying on that yeah exactly so you are if there's a double spend in the scale chain that that that's a real yeah you are it's not just a fraud proof or validation proof that is then relying on you know, a time up period and a challenge period where you're passing security back to the end user. You're 
literally have another blockchain and it better have good security, it better have uh, uh, the right you know, functionality to make sure there's not collusion and incentive design, mechanism design, etc. Um, how do you guys compare to like the Cosmos IBC model where you have many, many chains that connect to a hub? Yeah, so the, the chains at scale are not, not limited. So the more each node can actually be running 128 subnodes. And then right now these are increments of 16. Eventually you'll be able to configure them to be less or more based off security requirements, storage requirements, and uh, the network just grows linearly. And so instead of relying on just the top 100 validators to run uh, you know, a sub-segment and a finite number of, of, of chains, these are designed to scale linearly with the needs of the network and have also have economic structure so that it becomes less profitable to keep running nodes if there's not enough demand. So that's one component. So um, I, I guess what what is backing like the security of, of any of these of, of any of these chains, right? Yeah, really good question. So let's talk about side chains and their security yeah. issues. So so sorry if this is uh, repetitive and redundant for many of you. Uh, but I'll just start from the beginning. So blockchains, obviously, the more validators you have validating, the more secure it is, because they're all processing the same state, right? Um, and so if you have only 16 validators or miners or uh, nodes that are uh, verifying the state, then it's way easier to get collusion. And in scale, it's a BFT system, so if two-thirds of those nodes collude, they can steal the money. So that's the issue with sidechains, is that typically, they take a subset and you have a smaller group and oftentimes it's an authority model and then hey you're trusting that the reputation of the people, individuals, companies, entities, whatever who are running those chains and, and there's not many and so to get you know two-thirds of 16 is way more difficult than you know getting a million to uh, collude. So, we, so scale is designed there's three principles so one is just randomness so you have to have very effective randomness to pull, uh, to get for the entropy to determine which nodes are going to operate in that sidechain. And if you can if you can do that well, then it makes it more difficult to collude amongst the bigger group. The second piece is you have to actually rotate these nodes intermittently. They just stay there forever, even though we randomly pulled from a large pool, collusion's easier. And the last piece is incentives. And if there's not a reason or a loss for colluding and stealing, then you know, because you're not losing reputation, even though the reality is, is most people know who the validators are. Validators have reputations, but um, it's not, it's an open decentralized network. So reputation is not a component, but incentives are. So there's a stake. And if every, if every node has 100,000 in collateral staked into the system, you know, USD peg, and over time the value grows and the, the token, that just continues to grow on each, each chain. And then so, if I'm bad, I lose my money. So that's the other piece. That's the okay. high level. Um, and you guys are EVM compatible? Yeah, so you can think of each scale chain as being just an, a souped up version of Ethereum. So full EVM running on each chain, will eventually have eWASM support, but um, the design principle is, hey, you have, you've built something for Ethereum, you're running EVM, you just, two lines of code, you can run it in scale. 
It's a little more complicated when you need to have interchain messaging and have assets frozen and cloned and burned and moving back and forth. Um, but we also have, I think, pretty good code samples to get people up and running quickly there too. But yeah. Cool. Um, so, like, I guess, what what is like your your vision? Like, where do you think this is have like going to go in ten years? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now we're getting to the fun stuff. So, I mean, I'm I. I've been in tech for 15 years and I was in mobile as mobile was getting started and, and it was a similar feeling when, so we, uh, I was at Good Technology, we, we launched this app store and we had all the Fortune 500s, you know, hundreds of thousands of users of that a month and we thought, oh, everybody's going to want to launch a mobile app here. This is where literally enterprises were living on rim and good. And you know what? Only like three or four did. <laughs> And I was running that program with, uh, from a product perspective and, and uh, working uh, to make this happen. And, and what happened was, is it was just the devices were slow. It was a confluence of factors that made usability horrible. So this was, we were on 2G, not 4G. We had very limited battery life. We had um, not much memory on the devices. And, and did, you guys build, did you guys build the brew up? And or was this uh, post brew like iOS, Android already? This is this is so we were. This was like Palm OS and HTC and Nokia had. Uh, yeah, so we were um, not not brew. But the brew is the OS that I built. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we so scale or sorry, goods goods business model was Rim had their OS and yeah. and. Yeah. And you know, and actually, another funny thing, it seemed, some things seem easy and trivial, like I'll just support all these operating systems, and it ends up being way harder than that. Yeah, 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 totally. But yeah. but yeah, so back, so the point of that story was, it felt very much like this, and then I think it was like 2008, 2009, the iPhone launches, we get to 3G, and it was a hockey stick growth, and all of a sudden, like, I mean, literal hockey stick. It was the knee of the curve, changed dramatically. I was in machine learning later, it was like a very similar thing, and, and so I feel like we're there, and so over the course of 10 years, I mean, I really believe in not just money and, uh, and assets being uh, digitized and living in a secure cryptographic world, but I really think it's gonna be business model disruption. I think we're, gonna, we're, we're really early in the, you know, taking a big look at, you know, the, the first VCs really started in the early 80s, <laughs> And it's not that old, right? There's a lot of room for growth and transformation. I think we're even going to change structures of how uh, how businesses are formed. And yeah, my um, my feeling is uh, is like very similar. Like, so I was working on an operating feature operating feature phone operating system, and we literally had eighty percent of the market in the U.S. There was, you know, every, every Verizon's every CDMA phone in the world ran through. Um, and within about a span of the year, when uh, iPhone and came out and then Android, uh, that the number of phones shipped dropped from 80% to 20. It, it was crazy, like uh, of, of how quickly that changed. It was literally one year. Um, but, you know, I think it, it's, it, when that switch happens, I think it's kind of unpredictable. Like it's hard to say, right? Like, Maybe it's Libra, maybe maybe it's not, right? <laughs> because at that time, there were still a lot of people, like before there was iPhone and Android, there was this like Microsoft phone, which totally flopped. There was like two or three Palm phones and RIM, RIM phones that, you know, had some market share, but never really, really took off um, and made the space happen. So it's kind of like, 
it, it's hard to tell, right? And you know, and now it's kind of passe to say, oh, I believe in utility tokens and decentralized governance and and these systems. Google will be disrupted, Uber, Lyft, and and the funny thing is, is nothing really changed other than token prices dropped. <laughs> but the growth curve from a like traction perspective is on an amazing. It's like it's on the right slope to get there. It hasn't. We haven't hit the knee of the curve, but I haven't seen anything that tells me these things aren't going to happen and they're not viable. It's just very clear that it's going to take longer than most people expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think like we need, you know, I think people are good at innovating in the tech because we're good engineers, right? A lot of, a lot of people that are early in the space are engineering background and we see the problems we're solving. Um, but I think what we're actually lacking is like clear business models where you can like explain this is how I make money using crypto, right? <laughs> like, and, and why decentralization, right? There has to be one a real strong need for it within the business model design, yeah. and two, if the friction is is greater than the value, the decentralization is not going to get usage. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, um, I, I. So, what do you guys think of Libra? Like, you, you guys at scale, you saw the, the big announcement, and uh, now kind of this like weird, weird, weird pushback. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, one, we were, I think, like, actually very excited, even though it's very uh, antithetical to the ethos of decentralization to have, like, oftentimes Facebook is one of the top companies cited for abusing data rights. And, you know, they're a big piece of the problem, right? But so I was excited because it just brings more people into the space, it normalizes it for other people who have these like these misconceptions about digital currencies. And then I have to say I'm not at all surprised about the issues they're dealing with. And that's one of the reasons, right, why every project in a space that's decentralized has a foundation somewhere else and needs to have proper decentralization in order to be able to even like implement and launch a token, which we've talked about before, right? So trying to do it from this big company perspective, even though they have you know, some decentralization with their 20-some uh, groups that are participating, it's, it's just a very different model and one that like, I think if they didn't think they were gonna go through this, they were overly optimistic. Yeah, um, what, what's crazy to me is that like, how for granted I'm taking it that all their code is open source. Um, like, you know, there's no way Microsoft would have launched an internet money that was open source in the late 90s, right? Like, no way, right? <laughs> but now the, it's impossible, I think, to build complex systems that are closed source, which is really cool, right? All this. You know, and I, I look back at my last company too, and this was AI, machine learning, and, and the, there's this ethos around like, hide the assets, sell the black box. And what I learned and over time now since being like really immersed in open source the last few years is it's a far better business model and you get you, you give up some like, you know, some brick walls and a moat, but what you get is serious growth and trust because the biggest issue for anyone trying to sell that type of software is like no one wants to trust a black box. But look at TensorFlow, look how TensorFlow has just crushed all of these like you know, close wall garden uh, efforts because you get a community behind it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, do you guys see the, like, we had a panel last night with Zaki and he asked a question that we didn't actually get to answer, 
Do you see the challenge of building a community as harder or the engineering challenge of launching like this complex system? Okay, I think the hardest things are all of them. And let's throw compliance into the mix. Let's throw in the fact that you have to be a startup and manage a public entity and asset and you being traded, you know, the asset, even though it's community run, it's being traded and you have to manage communications. It's, it's a very different ball game and it's almost four or five startups in one. Um, but I think the cool thing about community and what I'm seeing is that uh, community is also not a walled garden. It's, it's, there's combined communities and we're really all part of a community. I see a lot of the people in this room everywhere, all over the world. And the communities are, uh, there used to be, actually there, there are still some like hard lines. There's a Bitcoin community that, that doesn't like to leave. <laughs> But a lot of the people in this broader, you know, Ethereum and... We're all competing to the top, right? <laughs> yeah, we're like competing and we're all friends. We all hang out together in every city, but we do events together. We, I think because everyone also realizes that rising tide lifts all boats. And if this industry is successful, the amount of people working here are still small enough that everybody is going to really uh, benefit. So I think everyone benefits by partnering. Yeah. Um, and I think the rising tide, again, it goes back to this, like, we're, we're way pre-growth curve um, because we, we really need to get the world to adopt these technologies and get to that saturation point. So in the 90s, you know, I was a teenager and I was programming and I remember, you know, there were like 40 million people on the internet in 1996 or 40 million, like, internet estimated people, right? So I think the estimates for number of wallets in the space right now are around that 40 million mark. Um, but if you look at like the actual transaction flow and all the public chains, there's maybe a million monthly active accounts. Um, so that's our addressable decentralized market space. Um, at the same time, when we hit those like two, three hundred million numbers in the late nineties, like this thing came out of nowhere called Fredster, and like everybody needed to be on that network. And no one could have predicted that like the most important thing out of a global internet is the social network that glues the people on top. There, there's zero, like literally no one could have saw that coming, right? <laughs> so I'm uh, like, I'm excited to, to get to see us get to that point where we have like 300 million self-custody wallets with humans behind them, like, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, I, it's coming, it, it, but it, it feels it, it takes patience, but the traction points are all pointing in the right direction. Look, like you said, the curve with even just the internet was very similar. Yeah. Um, so, like again, I, I think just thinking about that experience, I have no idea how to predict what that application is going to be. Right? Like, what is the frontster of, of crypto? <laughs> so, what excites me is when. Uh, it's these places where you see these middle middlemen rent takers who are really not adding value and it just seems so clear and before this by the way before uh, Scan and I started scale I was I spent about a year nine months just kind of like you know almost being an EIR looking for looking at business models and um, I was going to the Sasser office every day I had an office there and looking at SaaS business models and and looking at the marketing tech and sales tech landscape, I think there were 10,000 funded startups in the Bay Area, and they've already solved all the big problems, and it's just these little problems that are now being solved. But yeah, 
and they're looking for incremental value. And if you look at and you compare the value that a new SaaS company can provide incrementally over one before, it is like one one millionth of what the value you can provide by disrupting some rent-seeking middleman. So, but the issue is it's just been impossibly hard for normal people to use these things yet. And once that happens, I think it's just going to, you know, just be a vacuum. We're all going to get sucked into growth, but we're we're getting closer. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about DeFi and uh, the idea of kind of this trust minimizing finance because. Like looking at like McKinsey's reports, like seventeen percent of the world is spent on financial services. Literally, if we replace that with like a computer, um, I could work four days a week instead of five, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, and again, have the exact same standard of living, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And DeFi is booming right now, and that's I think one of the hot buttons. I, I also there's. Uh, there are so many examples, and we get to see so many of them because there are many building on Ethereum that, in you know, very quickly they port over to scale. One interesting one that's really getting traction is Audius, and I think they had two hundred and fifty thousand uh, transactions in the first week, which is pretty big in this space, and it blows away everything you see on uh, on DAP radar. But the thing is, is music is very restricted if you're an artist to be able to publish. A set amount of pieces and through validated channels and this is a decentralized network and artists like Skrillex and top EDM artists are in the world right now have a ton of content they want to get out there and guess what they just they can't put it on SoundCloud but they can put it on Audius and people listen and play and pay and the cool thing about it is the end user doesn't know they're interacting with the blockchain they're just getting access to different music at low costs and the artists know that they get paid directly and there's not a middleman in between them and the listener. And you know, they can't put their content that has already been licensed in other ways onto the platform, but there's that's a cool market where I'm seeing you know real value around the disruption. Yeah, that's cool. I mean mp3.com, right? If you remember that, <laughs> that, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we grew up in the Napster and yeah, yeah, days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look honestly. Napster, the, like that was the foundation of like half of the architectures that you see people are building right now. Like that, like um, people think about distributed systems, like a mesh network for downloading music. That was the distributed systems problem in the late nineties. It, it was, and, you, and I have to. When I was, you know, anyone who's new into this space goes through this process where your brain explodes. You're like, what? There's so <laughs> many things happening, and one of the connecting points to me I was like, oh, like because I used to run my now, and I was like running a node. I was like, I felt like I had to share back. I didn't want to just download. I also want to leave my computer on when I go to school. Yeah, like, you're just admitting to some things that you shouldn't be. <laughs> we, we might have to cut that. <laughs> yeah. um, this, uh, a friend did this. A friend of mine would contribute. <laughs> I think. I think that. That lawsuit passed. Or, you know, <laughs> I don't know, what's the statute of limitations on I'm running an abster <laughs> client? Yeah. Trim that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, is there anything else you want to cover? So, what? Uh, so, how did you get into this? Like, what was your like the your genesis? Your yeah, genesis so story. My genesis story. So I, I, I moved to Silicon Valley in 2005. I was working in good technology. It was we were dealing with cryptography. It was 
we had FIPS 140-2 certification, and I sold this first like, mobile defense product to NASA. It was like, really cool dealing with security and, and mobile. And actually, Stan, did uh, my co-founder, did our FIPS certification. He was running a crypto lab oh, cool. <laughs> back then. But I kind of got interested in cryptography. It was you know, just intellectually, it's a stimulating area. I, you know, and then I started a digital currency platform in 2008 where we had the, like NASA, NASA, you could buy wind tunnel time with these NASA bucks or supercompute time. And you have all these shared resources where everyone fights for the resource. And we're like, well, if you have a currency and then like you know, the price fluctuates based off supply and demand. So that was, this was in 2008 and people thought we were crazy. And I think we were a little, but um, <laughs> we thought it was cool. And then the market crashed and we, we ended up saying like, all right, well, we have a team, we raise a little money, like, let's give this a go. We ended up building uh, the largest machine learning, AI, advanced analytics platform for the life science industry. And and so I was doing that, and it's called, that company's called Octana, and almost every pharma rep and biotech rep and marketer in the world in that space is interacting with the, this platform. But um, in 2000, I was, for that business, I was in China in 2013, and a friend of mine is one of the founders of, uh, of Coindesk, and he was saying, he's a British guy, he's like, you have to get yourself some Bitcoin. You need to buy Bitcoin, whatever you want. Bitcoin, huh? And, and in, I was living in Palo Alto if, uh, before that, and in 2011, the white paper was going around everywhere all over the valley, right? And like, you know, everyone was looking at it like, people are using Silk Road. And like, you know, everyone was looking at it for other reasons. But then in 2013, it's like, okay, like, I can get behind this. Uh, and I like kind of went down the rabbit hole, but and started buying and hodling, but really didn't understand the power of these systems until uh, Ethereum launched. And then, and then I was just, you know, day job working in SaaS, machine learning company, and all the other time just reading, 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 learning about crypto. And then when I was starting my next company, it was, I just, you know, dove in. Cool, that's awesome. Um, I mean, uh, from 2008, you're already thinking like a crypto economist, right? Like it <laughs> that, was, you know, that was the hard thing, like, okay, we've got this asset. We need to make sure supply and demand and pricing. And so it was a very similar problem. And uh, it was really difficult. We actually ended up hiring a lot of bioinformatic PhDs from Stanford. And so we had this huge team of PhDs and we're like, well, we need to be able to predict what's going to happen too. And that's actually now how almost every farmer up in the world is guided to deliver healthcare information because we were trying to solve, you know, economics issues around currencies. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Cool, that's, that's a cool, uh, uh, that's a really cool start. Like mine, mine was like, you know, I had too much coffee and I was up till 4 a.m. and I had this like realization that you can generate a source of time, right? And since I worked at Qualcomm for like 12 years, and time is such a fundamental piece of wireless network scaling, that, that was my light bulb moment. You know, and then I was like, you know, felt like I was, you know, manic for two weeks because I had this like, oh my God, this is gonna work, you know, moment. Um, and that, yeah, then it took me about a month to get my wife to listen to me. And I'm like, <laughs> she has an engineering background and she's like, okay, this might work. And that was kind of it. Then you were, so then you are Yeah. And now we have, what is it? How many transactions per second are we going to see on Solana? So we're trying to hit 50,000 on an open network. And there's a lot of challenges there. On Google Cloud servers, 
If we don't do leader rotation, uh, I think we can saturate like uh, 800 megabit switch. So that's about like two, three hundred thousand. With with rotation and fault tolerance, um, it's about I think 80 right now. 60, 60 probably is more more likely. Um, awesome. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's so cool seeing all the talent come into the space and you know hearing about somebody who's top performer in and like traditional technology and then you drank too much caffeine and we've reinvented the way time interacts with public ledgers so it's like well, very cool. yeah i mean like the stuff we're doing is based on uh you know on the work of others right like down by a a lot of folks have done research in vdfs and distributed systems have been worked on by a million people like our, our like our version of a right is called lamports um because of Leslie Nonport, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. So it's that's and that's part of it is like timing. And I have to tell you, I well, I got into machine learning, and we didn't even call it that back then. This is like 2009, uh, after, you know, after the transition from the prior business, and 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 you know, it was we ate dirt for like three years. <laughs> it was like nobody wanted to talk to us. No one wanted to buy anything, but we saw it, and, you know, and so. I think we're all getting there, and, and thankfully now where we are right now, other people before us laid the groundwork, and figured out a lot of the issues, and you know we wouldn't be where we are, have the advantages if other yeah, people had sure. these things. Yeah, especially for us. I mean, we've been following in the footsteps of so many other projects, like Cosmos, especially. Yeah, they've kind of like that was the first chain that I felt like launched while I was building this one. I'm like, okay, these guys figured it out. Um, and, and the community and the validator community they've grown is phenomenal. And yeah. I, one thing that's really cool is so many of the top validators now that run networks like Scale and Solana are actually people that worked at Cosmos that saw this growth market. And, and it really, like, uh, people will write about this later. I think after we have a million validators and there'll be this lineage of Cosmos validators and core team that are run, you know, running networks around the world. <laughs> So, um, I don't know, what, what should we do? Yeah, um, uh, I've got a question for you. Okay, go ahead. So, let's talk about, I think a lot of people in crypto have families and have other things other than working all the time. We both have two kids the exact same age. How do you manage being a CEO and having family? Um, so, I cut out TV and majority of alcohol, although like, I'll have a beer socially. Um, but really like yeah, that's basically it honestly if you cut cut television out and and drinking you have a lot of time on your hands startup and family and that, that's fine right it's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Too, yeah yeah like social life yeah, yeah, yeah. well <laughs> so yeah the startup, is, startup is the short social life and so is the family but yeah I mean I let's see I you know I, I often end up programming somewhere from like 9 p.m. till sometimes 11 or midnight. Yeah, that's that's the other hack. It's the late night shift. It's the yeah. same thing. It's like 9 to midnight, jamming, not being distracted by anyone. Yeah, um, yeah and, and it's good. It's inspiring because a lot of people are like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to work at a startup. I want to, uh, you know, but I don't think I can because I have my family. It's like, yeah, actually, you can do both. You just have to cut other things out. Yeah. Like television yeah. and boots yeah. as two examples. Yeah. And, you know, bike, bike to work for, for working and, out. And triathlon, yeah, so, right? yeah, yeah. So one, one more thing in common with Jack and I is uh, we're both Ironman. 
Um, I was like the laziest Iron Man, so my hours were like 13 plus. Oh, no, I, I was I was worse. I was fifteen <laughs> okay. plus. But that was my first triathlon. I did a full Ironman. <laughs> so, yeah. but I, I took my time. I like I like sat down, had a lunch break. I just need to finish before the clock hits seventeen hours. So, that's all I care about. <laughs> that's all it takes is just you know being able to do it for seventeen hours, yeah. right? But uh, your hot hill time's gone down since uh, yeah. starting Solana. Right? Yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, getting slower, uh, but cool. Uh, I guess one thing that would be interesting, uh, since you all both have experience before blockchain and like, traditional startups, like what's been the difference in growing a Web three versus a Web two, and like different challenges you've experienced? Um, I'd say like it's harder to get like traction where you have users that are like general public users. Right, outside of the crypto space. Like with, with like traditional companies, like the Web2 land is just so established that you're really targeting like consumers that have like something that they want from you, right? Um, with this, we're still majority targeting the crypto industry. And that's the hard part. Like, you know, adoption within the small community doesn't mean adoption in the wider, wider like world, right? The, the other 8 billion people. <laughs> yeah, so, a two-part answer here. One, the challenges are like three or four, five-fold because yeah, a, a huge TAM with like clear users and doesn't exist, but there, you know, yet we see it coming. That's why we're all here. You need to build amazing technology fast. You also have to manage a public asset and a public presence and or support a foundation that does that and uh, and. You don't just pay Amazon to run the service. You need to create a community that is can run, runs a service at a good ROI that makes sense based off the economics of the system. And and guess what? Economics are another big piece. So it's there's like a lot of issues. But the the flip side is that this industry is attracting I think the best talent and the best people in any industry. And it's fun. It's exciting. And it's just a natural like you know, like light that pulls in phenomenal humans. And uh, so that part is way better and way easier. And, and guess what? We, you could do a podcast and if we were in SaaS, no one would be listening. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 <laughs> the SaaS podcast. That's going to be the, the next next season that we're going to call it the SaaS podcast. No, don't. don't. <laughs> want people listen. A lot of people listen, obviously, in that space, but it's... Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one more thing that we might have some questions for everyone. Um, what's the uh, biggest thing you're looking forward to over the next six months of the year in the crypto space or your individual projects? So I am, I think one cool thing is when you're in this same zone that Solana and Scale are in, we are both like pushing test nets out right now, working with this, all the same validators. We are both very thankful and fortunate to have such phenomenal validators running, our, running these networks. And we're both, at stages where we're pushing out test nets and getting up to mainnet. So I'm excited to see Solana to launch mainnet, I'm excited to see Scale and, and some others and really uh, see these things take off. That's what I gets me excited. Yeah, same. Just just getting over that hump, right? Pulling the bandit off, getting the network out there, launched, and then getting to the real work, right? right? <laughs> uh, anyone have any questions?
Uh, we got a couple. So, yeah. Somebody had a question. Go ahead. Sure. Outside of charting, what sort of scaling solutions between the terminal or otherwise are you most excited for today? Yeah, so, so great question. I so when we think of scaling, we think of it as a few things. One, just like cryptographic techniques, and the other one, uh, architecture and networking. And, and you know, I think there's like scale will be launching a BLS rollup at some point, and and we're excited about. Uh, but but you know, it's a lot of these things are still in deep research, and it'll be interesting to see how they come together in a, a live environment. And in the interim, we're just. We're very focused on scaling core value with with the approach we're building, and and really just making it incredibly easy. If you build something for Ethereum, boom, it works over here on scale. But it's cool to see all the progress and action around rollups. I think that's like the hottest thing lately. Uh, you still have the same latency issues, right? But you can just get a lot more in per per round. Um, I I mean, like I, I find the like with kind of. The ZK approach, like tr trust minimizing, like actual fraud proofs of computation was run correctly. I think the if we succeed there, like a lot of the problems around blockchain can be solved um, beyond just like kind of our our approach. I feel like we're building like a you know, ridiculously fast dinosaur. Right? It works. It's based on hardware. Hardware is going to continue getting faster. But if you have the cryptographic, you know, cryptographic guarantees of computation. Um, that might be like, you know, science fiction, right? But that's like kind of beyond what people see right now. So we'll see. Like, I, I, I would love to see like a compiler backend for generating, you know, CK snarks. <laughs> yeah, and one thing, one other comment there, I think as an industry, we all need to get better at uh, differentiating like things that are going to be ready in six months <laughs> and three months and a year and research that's going to propel the industry forward in five years and a lot of us are yes let's this is the greatest thing and but if we really think about when it's going to be viable and tested and proven it's ways down the road so I think I'm excited to see these you know what's actually going to launch in January and February and the end of this year uh, through a lot of different scaling uh, efforts and because that gets me excited. A lot of this stuff, usually cryptographic research takes decades, right? I think there's like one or two other questions. Any other questions? No? Cool. cool. Up, uh, want to plug anything? Any socials, anything you want people to check out? Halloween, San Francisco, 20, 2019. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hundred thousand people on the street? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, we, we, uh, yeah, we don't have that. Yeah, how about you, Tilly? Anything? Um, what do we need to plug? I don't know. Uh, plug something. Okay, so if you go to, if you go to Solana.com slash beta, there's a, a program for developers that can start playing around with the, with the tools um, and deploying some applications. And, do you guys have a similar program? Yeah, thank you. So I'll plug that. Yeah, we, we have the Scale Innovator program. So if you're interested in hacking, if you're building something on Ethereum, please talk to us. Christine Perry runs that program at Scale. And we you know, handhold your way through the process and let you run a scale chain. We've got them ready. They're ready for deployment. So excited about that. Also excited about ETH Waterloo next week. So. 
It's going to be a massive hackathon in Canada. It'll be fun. When is the main launch for those projects? Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? The main launch? The main launch? Main that. Oh, man. Uh, so we're trying to launch this up as fast as we can, and we're like in this tail end of, of go to market. And like, it, it, this is like the hardest thing. So like we just had a dry run yesterday, and prior to the dry run, we did two internal tests. The network seemed fine, and then we boot it up, and it stalls in like about three hours. So like it's just there's like these un unforeseen problems that are like so hard to catch, you know. Despite you're trying to do everything right, and then you like okay, let's see it right, and then it falls over. So this is like the least predictable and the hardest thing um, to anticipate. But like I think. You know, it's just a matter of time. These are just engineering problems now. They're not like computer science problems that we have to do research, right? Yeah, that, that's well said. I think we're all at the point where we're hardening. It's engineering problems. We're not building the rocket ship anymore. We're just fixing the uh, issues as yeah. we fly through space at a million miles an hour. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first uh, three SpaceX launches blew up, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So you got to do that. You do it in a test environment, and then you get to the real deal, and you know it works. And, and hey, these things will all still have some issues, and we'll have some like late nights and sending patch updates. But yep. that's how software gets deployed. Yep. Hey, Benny. Hey, how's it going? Good. So, which block? Which? Who do you think is your biggest competitor right now? Who are you most concerned about in terms of throughput and scaling? Um, on the scaling side. Um, so the way I look at competition is that like can they reduce prices for customers? Um, sharding can't like uh, the price of a transaction on a shard is limited by the capacity of a single shard um, because that's the minimum to to prevent spam for the for the shard, right? Um, so we have an advantage there, and I think our biggest competitor outside of that is just you know, like us not shipping fast enough and getting going to market. But obviously, like any applications that are able to um, to reduce load, like scale, like a lot of layer two solutions, we're, comp we're definitely competing with them to the death. Right. Yeah, I think, I think it's a really good question. And one of, it's also a philosophical thing of how you think about competition. And we are really trying to focus on the customer. And we think, and right now we've got 32 dApps partners in the program. And we just are trying to make them successful in the way that they make their customers successful, and 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 I think everybody's heads. I think that's the right way to approach things now. You have to read and know exactly what's happening with uh, other efforts and other things across the industry. But you also have to, if you have a plan, you believe in, you have to execute. And and so we're, uh, you know, and also it's rising rising water lifts all boats. Rising tide lifts all boats. I think. If the TAM grows by a thousand X in the next year of active users, then there's going to be a lot more market, um, and it'll be interesting. And one of the things I'm wondering is traditional rules. There's these rules that, like, you know, the VC and entrepreneurial community and the Valley has built over time about power laws and and who will win. And you know, a lot of things are different in crypto. I wonder if these things are going to hold true. It'll be really interesting to see how uh, how like. Dominance unfolds in different areas. Yeah, agreed. Like uh, people, I mean, we're we're you know, China's going to launch a cryptocurrency, right? Like that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's literally crazy. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So how how are like how is that going to impact the market if 
now, if now like we can run proofs of transactions of RMB on the Chinese crypto chain, right? Yeah. Right, like that is like effectively like why would I use anything else besides that for financial transfers, right? And and these things will be cloned and running in other networks, right. and uh, it will it'll be interesting to see how great the effort is to try to keep the like what is the money flight <laughs> from leaving the firewall and if they even think that's possible or maybe it's a strategy not to to just become a global currency yeah totally yeah there's some crazy things happening um i guess it's like a curse right maybe live in interesting times yeah this is the right industry to be in right now though i'll tell you that <laughs> who knows exactly how it will unfold in the next year or two but things are happening i mean is it a money flight if they're staying in the currency yeah, that is yeah, the weird a, thing, right? Like the more, the more. Like maybe that's the counterplay. Right. The counterplay is let's, you know, we, we can't stop the flight eventually. It's going to happen. So let's make it the de facto currency for the world. And Do you want to be in the podcast? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to be in the next one. It's, it's, still, it's still stays in the environment. Yeah. Yeah. They want us all using it over here, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's very clear China's strategy is global domination. Yeah. So I think they want to be the reserve currency. So. Yeah. Good point. Cool. Um, let's get more coffee. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Take that. Round of applause for the podcast guests, everyone. <laughs>